Welcome to the 14th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we're going to be talking about UFC 257 and the impact of the main event, which was Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, and the co-main event of Dan Hooker versus Michael Chandler. We're also going to talk about some other important fights off that card, like the Marina Rodriguez versus Amanda Hebas fight, and a couple of others. And then after that, we're going to circle back and we're going to look at Wednesday's card of Chiesa versus Magni. And we're going to look at some of the prospects that were on that card because there were a lot of fun prospects that really highlight the future of the UFC on that Wednesday card. So we're going to be spending a lot of time looking at those two cards. But for the main portion of this, it's going to be talking about Conor McGregor versus Dustin Poirier, how that fight turned out, the impact of that, and what is next for both guys. So starting off with that, we have Dustin Poirier's game plan coming in against Conor McGregor. Dustin Poirier had the best possible game plan that he could have with those low kicks. Those low kicks really affected Conor's ability and movement. So when you take away Conor's front leg and really decrease his movement, that in turn decreases his speed. He still has the speed in his hands. But his sheer movement front, back, and side to side is really restricted, and that takes away some of his ability to counter punch when he can't move as swiftly as he normally can. So that was a great game plan by Dustin, and he landed 18 leg kicks, and most of these were in the lower calf region. So these really broke down that lead leg. And in the second round, we saw that finishing flurry from Dustin, and that occurred when he got Connor in a corner. And once he got Connor in a corner of the octagon, he threw a large flurry. Connor was dodging with head movement, but he really wasn't able to use some footwork to get off the cage, get out of that position, largely because of how damaged that lead leg was, where he really got to the point where he couldn't move and get his back off that fence, which allowed Dustin to to start teeing off. Connor was, was able to dodge a lot of those punches in that flurry, but eventually the he Dustin landed two or three good ones, and the last one he landed was very good. And then once you get Connor, once Connor's on the ground like that, he can't really post off that damaged leg. So it really inhibited his ability to to get out of that position on the ground. So we saw Dustin take away Connor's movement, which allowed him to land that finishing flurry. And then once Connor was on the ground, he really couldn't do much to get out of that position as he was rocked and he got finished off from there, but he couldn't get up off the ground. He couldn't really do much. So Dustin was able to secure the TKO in the second round after that. And even with this great game plan and great performance by Dustin, I was still impressed in a way of what we saw from Connor despite the loss. Um, there's some other things I didn't like that I saw from Connor. We're going to talk about that in a minute too. Most of that's not um, performance based. A little bit of it is, but not all of it. But for, from the things I liked, Connor was throwing his one two that he usually throws very well. He uh, ducked a right hand, or he ducked a right hand from Poirier and came in and threw a really nice jab in there. Connor in the first round landed the more meaningful shots in that round. I guess I can't, you can't say more meaningful. He was landing the more meaningful shots to the head while Dustin was kicking that leg. So in the short term, in the first round, Connor performed very well. He was landing shots and he was landing hard shots. Um, in the post-fight presser, 
Dustin said that Connor landed a shot that hurt him, and Dustin said he could have been in some trouble if Connor would have landed a couple more in that sequence. But Connor was able to find Dustin's chin, but Dustin's chin held up, and it got to the point where Connor wasn't able to really stack a lot of those power shots as he normally could because of those leg kicks that we saw that were really inhibiting his ability to do that. And along with this, um, Connor also in the first round when Dustin tried to grapple him to really take away that initial aggressiveness that we usually see from Connor, Dustin did grapple Connor. Connor did a nice job of getting up because Dustin did secure a nice takedown. Connor got up, got to the fence, switched position. We saw a lot of clinch work in the first round by Connor and Dustin. And it looked like they were both pretty content to fight in the clinch for the short period. Connor landed a nice elbow in the clinch, some nice knees, some nice shoulder strikes. Dustin had a good amount of clinch control time. So we really saw a good first round in terms of clinch, a little bit out of the clinch. And and uh, another thing is after this first round, Connor didn't look gassed at all. Neither guy looked gassed, which um, the biggest critique for Connor is obvious, obviously um, his cardio, and he didn't look like his cardio was affected at all, even after a large uh, portion of that round was grappling based. So that is good for Connor in the long term, and some of these future fights we'll see him in. One thing that I didn't like from Connor is he didn't throw as many kicks as I liked, and I didn't like the stance that he came out in. Connor threw a nice spinning hook kick that Dustin blocked it, but even when you block a spinning hook kick, it hurts. So Connor landed one of those. I believe he had another head kick in there that was blocked, and he threw two leg kicks, I believe. So he really didn't do much for kicks. Uh, in the first fight against Dustin, Connor came out, threw a spinning hook kick, and a turning side kick in the first 15 seconds of the fight. So that really shows um, the difference in Connor's new style is he's not as kick heavy as he used to be, which I think that's a, um, I believe that's something that has mainly happened after the Floyd fight. He's, he's fallen in love with his hands, but in this game, you can have the hands, but uh, when you have kicks as good as Connor has, you need to utilize them, which he didn't even look like he wanted to utilize them, which is so weird to me because even when Connor threw that one spinning hook kick, that spinning hook kick was quick and it landed and obviously it was blocked, but it landed in terms of it made contact. A lot of times when guys throw spinning spinning hook kicks like that, they don't land. You know, someone ducks under them or gets out of range, but Dust or Connor was able to connect with that even if it was just partially through a block. but And it was quick. It was very quick for a spinning hook kick, and I think we need to see more of that from Connor, more utilization of kicks. He didn't throw a single teep, which is something he did great against Chad Mendez, and I think that's something I would have liked to see more of in this fight and more in his future fights. Especially in this fight, he could have used that teep in many situations to manage range better, and he could have used that teep to keep Dustin from pressuring him. This would have in turn, if you can do those two things, you could prevent Dustin from landing some of those leg kicks. Obviously, Dustin is going to land, heck, or excuse me, Dustin is going to land leg kicks when they're that big of the game plan. But Connor really had an opportunity, opportunity to use 
tips to really avoid some of that pressure and in turn kind of decrease Dustin's cardio a little bit. Obviously Dustin has great cardio, but when you're getting hit with tips, you're gonna start to slow down. It's natural, it doesn't matter who you are. When you're getting hit with tips repeatedly, you're gonna lose some of that air and you're gonna begin to tire. And getting tired for Dustin isn't that big of a deal, but it's better than is better for Connor that he's a at least a little tired than fresh. And like I said, this stance I didn't like either from Connor because in a lot of Connor fights we see him lay down his feet bouncing. He wasn't really light and bouncing. He was had his feet planted and he was looking like he didn't want to do anything but throw his hands, which is I mean that's not a bad thing because his hands look good as they always do, but that limited his kicking game. And it opened the window for Justin to land those leg kicks and have them be more impactful. I would have liked to see a stance adjustment to be lighter that would allow Connor to take a quick step back to either avoid them or give him a larger window to check some of those. And I think that's something that Connor's team will look back at and see that and um, apply that to future fights where someone will be kicking in the leg. But overall, I think Connor needs to go back. I think Connor has de-evolved in the sense that when he came in, he was a great kickboxer. Now he's more of using just boxing. If we can go back to the point where Connor uses his kickboxing as a way to set up his hands, I think that would be a, another facet of Connor's game that would allow him to be more successful in the future against some of these boxers. Because a lot of times, that's the biggest critique when we see a boxer in MMA, is they struggle with kicks. This is something that Jorge has done. Jorge Masvidal has done, done great. He is a great boxer, but he has been able to establish other tools like his rear, rear, leg, or rear kick to the body, which is something Jorge has done. And I'd hope to see Connor do more of that in the future because he has those tools, but he didn't utilize those tools. And I think that is the biggest criticism I have of this fight from Connor is obviously the leg kicks and not using all of the tools that he has in the stand-up game. He, he mainly threw a lot of one-twos. He was connecting, but I think the diversity and attack could have uh, kept Dustin... Um, could have kept Dustin on guard and maybe prevented some attack from him. And this is going to be so that's that's all my in in fight criticism I have for Connor. And I'm not trying to take away from Dustin here. Dustin obviously came in with the best possible game plan and he looked great. But I think that Connor could have performed a lot better than he did. That's why I'm touching on these points. And for Connor, I it also it it didn't seem like the same Connor in a way, which is something that we've talked or has been talked about for the last week about how Connor has been so respectful and so humble, and that's obviously a great thing for Connor because Connor has obviously always been trash talk his whole career, but in 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 a way i think that trash talk really fueled connor where he had to go in there and he had to back it up and that a lot and that we saw more intensity in his early fights we saw more confidence he if you watch ufc i believe it's 205 which is eddie alvarez versus connor mcgregor connor walked in there with you could visibly see confidence which is you know that's obviously not a real thing but if you looked at him you could see 
hey, this guy's confident. And anytime you can see that in someone, it's it's really showing of how their performance is going to be. If you can see Connor walk in and go, oh, he looks confident, he's going to win. He walked in this fight against against Dustin, and he didn't look confident. What I saw was it looked like Connor was happy to be there, which sounds like a weird thing to say, but if you look at um, specifically when he was um, getting Vaseline, prior to getting Vaseline on the face and taking the shoes off, he really just looked like he was taking in the moment, and he wanted to take in the moment, which is something that we've never seen from Connor. He's never been one to take in the moment and, you know, just kind of be happy to be there. It's, he's always wanted to seize the moment and and come out on top, which, once again, Eddie Alvarez, Jose Aldo, fights like that, is he was able to do that. And I think this is a, I think this is a growing pain in, in the process of kind of maturing. We obviously saw kind of mat- mature prior to the cowboy fight, but it, it was taken to another level, this fight against Dustin. And I think that humbleness really took away some of his drive and intensity. And you, you can have that drive and intensity while still being humble, but I think that's a mental, I think that is a mental roadblock that Connor is going to have to overcome. I think he can overcome that. Um, these last two fights of Connor and Cowboy are really the only two fights where he hasn't talked trash or been supremely confident. Even in some of his early fights, he was always supremely confident in victory, even if it wasn't direct trash talk. And we saw some of that confidence. But it just didn't seem to translate on that walk to the octagon this time. I don't know if that's because of fans. I don't know why that is. But I just feel like we didn't see that from Connor this fight. And that is the. those are the biggest things I saw from Connor that I'd like to see changed. Is one, the, the mindset coming in. And the I want to see him more intense in the walk down, in the stare down, in those things. Um, the stance. He needs to change up stance a little bit, be lighter, not so heavy, not so flat-footed. And then, obviously, checking some of those leg kicks. If he can check leg kicks, that fight's a whole different fight. But it got to the point where he wasn't checking those leg kicks. And that pretty much ended the fight for him. I know it was a TKO via via punch from Dustin, but in reality... The leg kicks ended that fight. I don't think that flurry happens if that leg isn't compromised. And then the final thing is he needs to utilize his kick batters better. Excuse me. If Connor can do those four things, I think we're back. To, we're back to seeing vintage Connor and vintage Connor performances. But until those four things happen, I just think it's going to seem different. I think it's going to seem off. These just don't seem like Connor McGregor fights when he's not doing those things. I think eventually he will get there. I think some self-assessment after this loss. Um, I think th- these things will come clear to him. And I predict that we will see a better Conor McGregor next time we see Conor McGregor in the octagon. And for Dustin, um, great great performance by Dustin. He came in with the perfect game plan. And it's hard to knock someone's performance when they come in with the perfect game plan. And that's exactly what Dustin did. And if someone's going to go and get a win against Connor, Dustin Poirier is the best guy 
for that to happen to. Justin's been in this fight game for a long time. He's been one of the most respectful, well-liked fighters by many UFC fans and many other fighters on in the UFC. So it's this is a great thing for Dustin. And if in in me personally, if anyone were to go out there and beat Connor, um, Dustin's one of the one of the guys I would have wanted to do that. And that's that's kind of a trend that we've seen from Connor. This is um, gonna sound weird, but the guys that have beat Connor have always been fan favorites and respected guys. People were saying the same thing when Nate Diaz beat him. You know, when Nate Diaz upset Connor, people were saying, you know. This is great. If we were to have anyone beat Connor, Nate Diaz is the guy. Same thing with Habib. People were so happy to see a guy like Habib really get that opportunity and seize that opportunity. Same with Dustin. So I think that's the biggest thing when guys are fighting Connor is the um, the the um, want and drive to really take the spotlight, which those three guys have done. And they didn't they didn't shy away from the challenge. And I think that is the the different the different the, what makes those three guys different and have allowed them to beat Connor. And when other guys have had the skill to beat Connor but did not win. So I think that's the the big factor in, in the three common the, the common denominator in those three cases. For Dustin um, his next fight should be for the lightweight belt. I really don't think there's a way around that. Once you beat Conor McGregor, you put yourself right in there in title contention. And I think Habib is going to vacate this belt, relinquish the belt, however you want to say it. Um, Dana seemed like, after the fight, he seemed like he was aware that Habib was done. And I think that Dana was just waiting and hoping that he could get that Habib and Conor fight. I don't think Dana really has an interest in booking Poirier versus Habib. And I don't think a lot of people have an interest in seeing that. So I think within the next week, two weeks here soon, we're going to hear that Habib has relinquished the belt and it's going to be vacated. And we're going to be looking for potential next, the potential next fight for the belt. And at this point, I would say that we would have to look, one, Dustin Poirier is going to be in there. And then that leaves the option of who is Dustin Poirier going to face for the belt. And I think the two names right now are, one, Charles Oliveira, and two, Michael Chandler. Obviously, um, Michael Chandler looked great last night. In that performance, he landed a big left hand that put Dan Hooker away, so we're going to talk more about that later. I have my thoughts on that too. But as of right now, I think it's pretty much a toss-up between Oliveira and Chandler. So in this, I think it's going to be, I predict that the UFC wants to go Chandler in this. Dana seemed pretty, in the post-fight, he seemed like he wanted to go Chandler. But I think it's a toss-up. I think that Oliveira is going to have a lot of push for that lightweight belt. He looked great against Tony Ferguson. And Michael Chandler obviously looked great against Dan Hooker. So I think it's going to be one of those two guys. And it's really hard to say right now. I think it's just going to be whichever guy lines up better with Dustin in terms of a date. If Dustin says, hey, I want to fight. And it doesn't really matter when Dustin says he wants to fight. Say Dustin wants to fight again in March or April or whenever. 
I think whichever guy is more willing to step in on that timetable is the guy who's going to get that fight. I think whoever doesn't get the title fight between Chandler and Oliveira is going to end up fighting Gaethje. The UFC was already interested in that, interested in that Gaethje and in that Gaethje and Oliveira fight. So I think Gaethje versus Chandler would also interest them. So I think one of those two guys is going to fight for the title. The other is going to fight Gaethje. And then the winner of the Gaethje and other guy, well, it's hard to call him other guy, but the winner of that Gaethje fight would probably be next in line down the road. So the UFC without Habib looks like they have a clear path um, and a clear direction for where they're going with this lightweight belt. There's not too many questions, and that is a good thing. For Connor, there's two names where I think he could move to next. The first name being Tony Ferguson, and the second name being Nate Diaz. I think in this, the trilogy fight has always been, the trilogy fight between Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor has always been the ace up the UFC's sleeve, and they might have to pull it out now. I think you need to pair Conor up with someone coming off a loss. I don't think they pair them with any of the aforementioned guys of Gaethje, Chandler. I don't think they do the Poirier trilogy fight right now. Conor needs to get on back, back on track and win. Oliveira, don't see it happening right now. So I think we're going to see Conor move into that, that lower tier and fight some of those guys. And Tony Ferguson and Conor McGregor are two guys on a similar path right now in their career. Tony Ferguson has lost two in a row. There's a lot of questions about what he, about his future. After this loss, there's a lot of questions about Conor's future. So I think that fight could make sense. Tony's wanted that fight since he's had the interim belt. So I think that's a big fight that we could see happen. And then Nate Diaz wants to move back to 155. He's coming off that loss to Masvidal. And I think for the UFC, it's a it's a win-win for the UFC when you have Conor and Diaz fight because one of them wins. And obviously whoever wins is going to get pushed for a title and have a big fight down the line. So, and, uh, but that does raise the question, would the UFC be willing to do Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor right now? Because the loser will have two back-to-back losses regardless. And I think that could possibly be the downfall of the loser's career, which I think that could be an interesting element of that trilogy fight is that the loser is a stare in retirement right in the eyes. So that could be an interesting aspect. And I think that aspect could be in the Tony Ferguson fight too, of if you're Tony Ferguson and you lose to Connor, what are you doing in your career moving forward? And I think these are all questions that can be asked when when we match these guys up. But those are the two biggest names right now. I really, I'd say probably right now, I'd say give it a 90% chance that we see Tony or Nate Diaz for these guys, maybe a 95% chance. I just don't see another, there aren't really other fights that pop off the page. We have Dan Hooker who just lost, but Dan Hooker has two losses in a row. I don't think that'd be a fun, entertaining fight, but I just don't think the UFC would be overly interested in Dan Hooker versus Conor McGregor. Paul Felder is an interesting name. Paul Felder, obviously, and Conor McGregor have a little bit of history, a little bit of beef there. And But that fight also, Paul Felder has lost two in a row. He's got losses to Hooker. Is it 
yeah, it's two in a row for Felder. He's on a two-fight losing skid, I believe. Uh, Hooker and RDA being the last two. So I really think that it's got to be Nate Diaz or Tony Ferguson. And I think those are the only two names that make sense at at this moment. And then moving on, we're going to be... We'll go on to Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker now. I'm pretty sure that's everything I wanted to talk about in between Dustin and Connor. I think I touched everything there. But for Michael Chandler versus Dan Hooker, this was a great first fight for Michael Chandler. He looked great. And for Michael Chandler, everyone always talks about his D1 wrestling and his power right hand. Those are the two common factors you hear people talk about when they talk Michael Chandler. But in this fight... Michael Chandler went right hook to the body and then left hand over the top to finish Dan Hooker. So he didn't even use that power right hand that everyone was hyping up. He used his left hand, which really shows he's more versatile than a lot of people give him credit for. And in that fight, he did a great job controlling the octagon. He didn't let Dan Hooker get on his front foot and attack. And this allowed Michael Chandler to close the gap easier when it was time to attack because they had a big they had a, a big reach differential here. Dan Hooker's a longer, lengthier fighter. So I think for Chandler, that really forward pressure that he was putting allowed him to get inside and land that strike down the stre- down the stretch of the first round there. And Dan Hooker, Dan Hooker really never really got it going. He never really got started. Um, Dan Hooker is a great fighter. And he's one of my favorite fighters. I'm a big Dan Hooker fan. But there was just something off in this performance for Dan Hooker. I don't know what it was. And I can't really put my finger on it. It's hard to say. But it just seemed like Michael Chandler was in control that whole fight. And there's there it really seemed like there was nothing that Dan could do about it. And that's really all there is to this. Is Dan, Michael Chandler had control until he finally landed the knockout shot. And then he got the knockout shot and fight's over. There's, it's really that simple. And afterwards, he called. He did had a great call out afterwards. I really liked what Michael Chandler did on the mic. He found a way to call out Connor, Dustin, and Habib, and he did it very seamlessly. A lot of times, when you call out more than one guy, it seems tacky and a little silly. But Michael Chandler did it in a fashion that um, seemed seem authentic. And. In this, he could have stood up there and he could have said, oh, I want the winner of uh, Connor and Dustin or or Habib if he'll come back. He could have been boring like that, but he got he showed some passion in there and if he found a way to articulate his words that really seemed authentic and really didn't seem as cheesy as a lot of those call-outs sound. Because anytime you're calling out the winner of, that's when you know you have a bad call-out. Anytime you say, I'll take the winner of... You're usually doing something wrong. He never, Michael Chandler never said that. And he was able to have really, really articulate a great call out. So respect for Michael Chandler on that. And I think he, there's a good chance he gets one of those fights. There's a good chance he gets that, that title fight against Poirier. And I think that's the direction the UFC wants to go. And we'll see if it works out. Dustin didn't seem too keen on Dustin Poirier or on that Poirier versus Michael Chandler match, but I think uh, he he Dustin said that he beat Dan Hooker, so Dan Hooker was on a losing st- streak, and he said that Michael Chandler needs to beat a, a higher tier opponent to really get that that deserving of a title shot. 
which is interesting to me because Dustin did beat Dan Hooker, and he beat him in five rounds. And Michael Chandler knocked him out in the first in a fight that seemed way... Michael Chandler had way more control in that fight than Dustin Poirier did against Hooker. If I remember correctly, Hooker won the first two rounds, and then Dustin surpassed him with cardio in the in the last three, if I remember that correctly. But, um, you know, I think that's a fight the UFC could make is Chandler versus Poirier, but I think Poirier uh, wants that Oliveira fight more. So, it's really tough to say. It's tough to say there, but... Um, I think he, Michael Chandler has a good shot at getting that, and then if not, he's going to get that Gaethje fight, I believe. Moving for Dan Hooker, this is going to be a tough one. Where do, who do you match Dan Hooker up with now? He's probably going to take some time off after that knockout, I imagine. But this lightweight division is really, um, it's really, everyone's getting paired up here. And I think it's... I think if I think the best fight would be Dan Hooker versus Tony Ferguson if the UFC matches Connor with Nate Diaz. And then after that, if the UFC decides they want to go with Connor and Tony, I think we're in a silly spot for Dan Hooker. And I think Dan Hooker would have to wait around a little bit. I think Dan Hooker versus Paul Felder would make sense, but they already fought, so I don't think we'll see that one again, especially not right now. So I think Dan Hooker's probably going to have to wait one out here for a little bit. We're going to see some fights here. Poirier is going to fight somebody. Oliveira and Gaethje and those guys are going to fight. And I think the loser of one of those upcoming fights would make sense for Dan Hooker. Unless, obviously, he can get that Tony Ferguson fight. Which I think is something that could be very realistic. Especially if Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor do that trilogy fight. And then... Um, th- those are all the points I wanted to, to talk about for the big fights for UFC 257. Um, Marina Rodriguez had a great performance as well. I don't want to skip over that too much. She was fighting Amanda Hibas, who is a big time. He's a big time. She's a big time prospect. Amanda Hibas is, and she really dominated in the first round. But Marina Rodriguez has great power in her hands and she was able to put Amanda Hemas down and this just goes to show how good that 115 pound division is in the women's weight classes I think that's the best women's weight class by far you have to the fact that they were in the lower half of the top 10 and you still have Mackenzie Dern at 10 so I think that really goes to show just how much better this 115-pound weight class is than the other three women's weight classes. And I don't think Amanda Hibas is done. I think this is, I think Amanda Hibas still has a lot of potential. And I think she will grow out of this. She seemed to be in good spirits afterwards, so that is good. (coughs) Excuse me. So I think Amanda Hibas will recover from this, and we will see her We'll see her again, and for Marina Rodriguez, she has put herself in a very good spot. So, we'll see for what's next for her. Um, it's a little tough to say. It's a little bit harder to match up some of these women uh, weight classes, but I think for Mar- Marina Rodriguez, there's a lot of fights that you could make for her. I think I think uh, Michelle Waterson is still a good fight for her. They tried making that fight 
but it fell apart. So I think that would probably probably be the best fight for Marina at the moment. For Amanda Hebas, there's several directions you could go. I think Angela Hill would be a fun fight for her. And there's some other fights that you could make in there as well. So I don't think that they are too far out of... I don't think Hebas is too far out of things at the moment. And then um, let's circle back to Wednesday's fight card of Magni versus Chiesa. So this was a Wednesday card. Um, very, uh, We don't see Wednesday cards very often. But this was a very good card. I really like this card. There were a lot of fun fights on this card with a lot of fun fighters. So the main event was Michael Chiesa versus Neil Magny. In this fight, Chiesa looked very, very dominant. He had a lot of top top control and a lot of top position in this fight. He was really able to get a lot of takedowns from clinch and really really take away Magny's striking altogether. And Chiesa looked good on the feet too. He was keeping distance, landed some good shots, and uh, he showed great evolution on the feet. He's always been a tremendous grappler. Showed evolution on the feet while still dominating on the ground. For Michael Chiesa, I think he is really in a good position to really move up in this 170-pound division. And he's put himself in a very good spot. Right now, he's the 8th ranked guy. Obviously, he's going to move up. We just saw Tyron Woodley get booked against Vicente Luque. So, that's one name off the board that uh, I would have thought Chiesa, they would have... Um, I would have thought Woodley versus Chiesa would have been a fight they would have looked to make. But Luque versus, Ki- versus Woodley is a fun fight for Chiesa. There's uh, two names here that really bounce off the page to me. I think Damian Maya is the first. Damian Maya is retiring. This next fight is going to be his retirement fight. You can give Damian Maya of someone that has a similar style. And this also gives Kiesa a chance to uh, prove that he is the best. He want, He says he's one of the best grapplers in the division. If you can go out grapple Damian Maya, then you prove it. So I think Kiesa is going to be... Um, uh, someone to deal with here in this 170-pound division. The other name that I'm seeing here is Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. And this is an interesting one because we don't know exactly when Wonderboy is going to come back because he did injure his knee in that last fight he had against Jeff Neal. So we'll see here what's next for Wonderboy. But I lean Damian Maya because I think Maya is more... Mm, will fight sooner than Wonderboy, I believe, and um, he called that, but he did call out Col- Colby Covington. I don't see him getting that Colby Covington fight right now. Um, I think they're going to go Covington versus Masvidal. I think that's pretty much set. I think the reason we're seeing so much delay on that is because those two could potentially fight that season of the, the next season of the Ultimate Fighter. So I think that's something we have to take into consideration on why that fight has been put back so long. But I don't hate the call out. I did immediately. Right afterwards, I was like, that's a silly call out. Why'd you call him out? You're not going to get that fight. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, down the road, if if Kiesa can beat Damian Maya and uh, Woodley, er, excuse me, if Kiesa can beat Damian Maya and Colby Covington con- loses to Jorge Masvidal in, in their fight, then that Kiesa and Co- Covington matchup, 
really is is probably the best matchup you can make there. So he laid down the the groundwork for a future match against Colby Covington, which is something that I like because right now the 170-pound division is a hard one to really pick fights against, especially when you have guys like Maya, who's been relatively inactive. Woodley, there's always been a big question mark against, or there's always been a big question with what Woodley is going to could, was going to do next, but he's obviously matched up against Luke a now. That really came out of nowhere. So, for Kiesa, a uh, good call out for future planning, but not immediate planning, which is, it would have been hard to immediately plan in that situation. So, I think that was a good call out. On that card, we also, in this 170-pound division, we had Li Jingliang knock out Santiago Panzanibio, which, for Li Jingliang, that was impressive. He hit Santiago Ponzinibbio with a big one-two, put him out, and I am uh, very impressed by that performance. And Li Jingliang is going to be someone that we're going to see here in this 170-pound division. He has a lot of power in his hands, and I think we're going to see fun fights with him in the future. I'd like to see him versus Geoff Neal. I think GF Neal is coming off a loss, but he lost to Wonder Boy. So anytime you lose to Wonder Boy, you're still in the mix of things. Wonder Boy is in a whole nother level of striking, and he was able to piece apart GF Neal, but GF Neal is still an incredible talent. And I think a matchup between GF Neal and Lee Jingliang would be a lot of fireworks for that 170-pound division, and that's something that I would want to see personally. And then in the Coleman, we had Warley Alvarez versus Manil Lezez. And Manil Lezez is another one of these guys who's a bright prospect in the UFC. But Warley Alvarez looked good. He looked strong. He looked powerful. Those, those, uh, he finished this fight with kicks to the body. He threw three of them back to back to back. And they looked powerful. I was very impressed. With, or Warley Alvarez has... A win over Colby Covington on his record. He beat Colby by guillotine. That's one of Colby's two losses. Obviously, the other is to Kamaro Usman. So, for Wally Alvarez, it's nice to see him get back in a in the win column. And I think Wally has the potential to make a run here. Just off his sheer power alone. We saw also in this uh, on this card, we had Ike Villanueva, who... It's, this was not not one of the more uh, hyped-up fights on the card, but Ike Villanueva landed a big right hand, and uh, that was probably the, one of the better knockouts of the last two weeks. So I kind of wanted to give him some credit on that. Then we had Viviane Arjudo. She had a great performance against Roxanne Modafferi, excuse me. Roxanne Modafferi is one of the um, one of the more veteran fighters in this division, and Arjuno really really proved that she belongs in there with the best and she did a great job for controlling this fight on the feet and it went down to the ground a couple times but vivian even on the ground against roxanne modafferi who's a legit grappler in this division she was able to out grapple her out strike her amazing performance against roxanne modafferi i think she deserves to move up in the rankings and fight someone that's getting close to that top tier. I think Jennifer Maya would be an interesting fight. Maya just fought for the title. And I think that'd be a good fight for Maya to get back on track or Arjuna to prove that she's one of the best fighters in this division. That's a fight I would love to see. 
And in that in that uh, division, we also had Joanne Calderwood versus Jessica I on Saturday. Uh, Calderwood looked very good. That's another fight that you could make would be Maya versus Calderwood. You could go Arjuno versus Calderwood. I think they're both going to move up in the rankings. So there's a lot of fun potential matchups here in this 125-pound division. I think we're just going to pair some of these women off and see see what fights we can get. And I think there's going to be a lot of people trying to prove that they deserve the title shot after Jessica Andrade. Because Andrade is going to fight for the title next. And then if Shevchenko has to defend again at 125, we're unsure on the likelihood of her moving up to 35 to take on Nunes. And, but if she defends again at 125 after Andrade, there's a... Um, there's a clear pecking order there, and I think uh, it goes on Drage first, and then you have Lauren Murphy. But after that, it really opens up. So I think they're going to pair some of these girls off and really see what fights we can get, and really we're going to really see who uh, who can show that they're the best in this division outside of Shevchenko and earn themselves a title shot. So I think we're going to see some fun fights here in this women's flyweight division. And then going back to Wednesday's card, we also had Matt Schnell versus Tyson Nam, which is a big fight in that 125-pound division. Schnell looked very good in this. He showed some crisp boxing, and he was able to avoid Tyson's right hand that is very powerful. Tyson landed it a couple times, but Schnell ate it. So great performance by Schnell. He looked very good. We saw Lerone Murphy on this card. He won... Um, first two rounds, third round, he was getting beat up a little bit, but he looked like another guy who's a great prospect in this division. And I'm so happy to see a lot of these good prospects perform on these Fight Islands cards. And then we had Omari Akhmedov versus Tom Brees. This was a top 15 matchup, or excuse me, Omari Akhmedov was in the top 15. Tom Brees was just right outside. Akhmari, Omari Akhmedov looked very good in this fight. Showed some crisp boxing, and he eventually got it to the ground where he won. But the moments where this fight was on the feet, you know, Mario Akhmedov looked very good. And when it got to the ground, he's such a... Akhmedov is a big, strong guy who was able to control that and eventually get to the submission. So I think Omari Akhmedov is in a really interesting spot because he just lost to Chris Weidman. But it looks like he he could start moving up in this 140. Our 185 pound division. I think a fight against Brett Tavares would make sense. Brett Tavares just won, so if we can get two winners matched up against each other in that lower portion of the 185 pound rankings, I think that would be a good fight for both Akhmedov and and um, and Tavares. And then touching on some of the other prospects that we saw on this card, we saw two. Big prospects going up against each other in Mike Davis and Mason Jones. That was fight of the night. Very fun fight. Both guys showed iron chins. And that really shows the depth of the 155-pound division is that these two guys were going in there unranked and putting on performances like that is ridiculous. Mason Jones, despite his loss, showed that he's still a very good prospect in this division. And Mike Davis... Showed so showed great skill as well, and these two are gonna we're gonna see these guys for a long time. I think in this 155 pound division, and I think the best prospect we saw on this card next, Umar Nurmagomedov, he looked great for making his UFC debut, and 
for him, he's different than a lot of the other Nemagomedovs. He showed some great kicks. He has a great question mark kick, an elite question mark kick. And he still has that grappling base that a lot of the Nemagomedovs have. And I'm very excited to see what he can do in this 135-pound division. Anytime you have kicks like that, you can pair them with the wrestling credentials that he has and his family has. It's incredibly interesting, and I think he is going to work his way, and I think he has the potential to get to the top of this 135-pound division. Just looking at it from a stylistic standpoint, if uh, he can get down, if he can get some wins together and get to the top five, I mean, him versus guys like Rob Font, Cody Garbrandt, Corey Sandhagen, Eljo, Peter Yan, these would all be fun stylistic fights here in uh, the up-and-coming years. So I think Umar has great potential, and I think he will work him way, his way up to the top of this division before too long, especially when he performs like that. And if he can perform like that repeatedly, he's going to make his way up to the top of the 135-pound rankings, and he's going to do it quickly. And I hope that we see him fighting frequently because he was an exciting and fun fighter to watch. And I love seeing Habib as a coach and a and as a translator so i think those are that's another thing that umar will have go, going for him and the rest of uh um the people that habib trains with is that if habib stays present there's always going to be people watching umar to see habib which i think is a is a great gateway to more fans because it just sim- simply puts more eyes on umar i know i know i i watched all of umar's post fight interviews and and such just simply because Habib was translating and you, you never know what will happen so um I think Umar will see great success here in the future and he's an, an exciting fighter here and um that's really all I have to say on Umar and that is everything I wanted to talk about from these Wednesday cards and from yesterday's UFC 257 card and I also wanted to touch on Woodley versus uh, Vicente Luque. We got that in there. And there are no fights this upcoming Saturday. The UFC is taking a week off. And then the week after, we have Overeem versus Volkov in the main event of UFC Fight Night. So I will do another episode on Saturday. I usually don't film episodes if there weren't fights this Saturday before. But next week, I will film an episode, and I'll do a breakdown of the upcoming Overeem versus Volkov card. And I will. I think I'm going to gather some other topics that I want to talk about that, um, that pique my interest that just are usually not spoken about. And I usually don't have time to fit into episodes like this because right now, we're already at 45 minutes here, and it's really... You know, I don't really want to want to break into some of these discussions. So I think next week should be a fun episode. It'll be a little bit different. I'm, uh, I saw something from Michael Chandler where he was talking about how people treat each other after after a loss or after a knockout or submission loss. I want to talk about that because I really liked what Chandler had to say on that. Uh, I might touch on judging because I think the judging system needs to be looked at. And as we continue, we saw some bad scorecards. We didn't see too many robberies in the last week and on these last three cards, but we saw some split decisions where two judges had it scored correctly going, you know, 
29-28 one way or 30-27 one way, and then there was a dissenting judge that would have it 29-28 for the wrong guy or, you know, and we just saw some bad scorecards off of singular judges, and I want to talk about ways where we can avoid that, and my opinion that will would really push the sport forward and allow us to have the best scoring system. So I'm going to talk about that next week. I might compile a couple other ideas, but for right now, we're going to have the Volkov versus Overing breakdown, and then we're going to talk about scoring and judging, and we're going to talk about Chandler's quote about um, after after you uh, fight someone, kind of how you talk to them in the octagon. So I want to touch on that because I thought that was very interesting, and I'll look out for other other news that we see in the next week. Um, I'm sure there will be some rumblings of of Nate Diaz. We've seen Nate Diaz move down, or he announced he was going to move down to 155, so I think we might get some news on that. Habib might relinquish. We might see more news on what's going on in this 155-pound division, so I want to talk about those things, and I'll find any other news that's out there. So we will have an episode next Sunday, a week from today, so don't miss that. And thank you for watching the Head Kick KO podcast, and I'm out.